Welcome to the Football Game Plan Radio Network, where football makes sense. And you've tuned in to this week's football replay with CJ. This is the October 11th edition of the show. And if you're not familiar with the show, this is actually the second episode. So I'll kind of explain what I do. I basically just go over anything I'm interested in in football, uh, whether it's ranking college teams, NFL teams, general discussion pieces that I've come up with, or any stories that have happened over the last week. Just try to recap those things uh, and just get my my perspective and spin. Uh, I've done shows in the past, uh, including a draft prospect analysis show where I focus strictly on guys that were coming out of college going into the draft or guys who had just been drafted that year. Done other shows. If you're not familiar, I do another show, another podcast uh, called Five and Five. It's where I cover five FBS football games in five minutes or less for each uh, game and just kind of give an overview of that stuff. But this is a show where I get to give a little bit more of the flavor that I bring to the brand. I know on any show, you know, I should be able to do that. But this one is more me, the CJ aspect, not the Chris James, the analyst. This is more of how I feel with my flavor. So if you listen to last week's show and a little familiar with what went on, uh, I couldn't get this show up and running until the last, uh, let's see, last week had a lot of technical issues and it was unfortunate. I blame myself. Uh, but you know what? And and it struck a little bit last week as well, but we're going to alleviate those problems and make sure it doesn't happen this week. One thing that did get cut off, I got started on uh, what's going to be my first topic, and I'm glad that it got cut off because I want to give a little more insight and I've refined it a little bit more. So I'm going to be ranking each team's quarterback situation, their starting quarterback, and I'm going to give the tiers that I think exist. Now, last week on the show, you know, I'll just let you know, nothing really changed. Not that much. There was two things that uh, changed, and it wasn't anything big. A guy might have moved from, let's say, number 14 to number 15, vice versa. It was nothing. It was once I gave him more thought, I might have moved a guy. But um, I have different tiers. I actually have five of them. And I'm going to give you kind of the breakdown of the tiers that are going on and the reasons why, as well as the salary that I would pay, knowing the current NFL's landscape. So without further ado, that's what we're going to do. So there's the green tier, and I, I call those my elite quarterbacks. I'd pay them $20 million plus a year. Now, these are guys who either have been consistently elite over their, the duration of their career or have been elite for periods of time that are sizable, whether it's been one full season or at least you know seven to eight games in a stretch where they just looked unbeatable. All these guys, it's likely more like they looked unbeatable for at least one year and they haven't done anything to really change my mind from them being elite. They can carry your your football team into a championship situation if you need them. They're clutch. Then I have the yellow guys. Uh, This is uh, the next tier franchise worthy. In the elite class, it's going to be rankings from A to B. Okay. With these yellow, this yellow tier, the, the franchise-worthy quarterbacks, these are guys that I think if you strapped your franchise to them, you wouldn't be disappointed. It doesn't mean that they're the end-all, do-all, but I think that they're good enough that if you surround them with talent and support them, that they can actually win you games, get you to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, if provided the right 
amount of stuff. Either that or they're young guys that I think have good upside and bright side. It's going to be rankings between B- and C+. And I would pay these guys, the franchise-worthy guys, when their contract is up, that next range, that 16 mil to 20 mil a year, that range going forward. Then there's the black group, uh, color coding. It's the NFL starting quarterback caliber guys. Uh, these are guys that I gave a C grade to. And I think that they are able to start on a team. You know, if you have a team that has a great defense, they're good enough to get you over the hump. But you don't need anything ex- exceptional around. You need something exceptional around them for them to really be truly successful. I think they're good bridge guys, guys that can start in the NFL uh, for a team and actually do a good job. Uh, I'd pay these guys in that range of 12 to $16 million. Then there's the next one, the red category. These are serviceable quarterbacks. It's going to be the C-minus quarterbacks. An eight to ten million, uh, eight to twelve million dollar range. These are guys that I think, in spots, have done a good enough job to get a decent paycheck. But they're not guys that I would depend on or lean on long term. They have to show me more for me to actually give them the credit that they're looking to get. And then my last grading is uh, it's a purple group. Uh, these are the no thank you quarterbacks, the no thanks quarterbacks. These are guys that I wouldn't sign. Um, these are guys that I think, you know, I'm not going to say they're bad quarterbacks as far as the grand scheme of things. Listen, they're in the NFL. That means they're they're good enough at their job. But to me, there's something glaring that makes me not want to have these guys on my roster, whether they have <clears throat> issues with how they conduct themselves, how the locker room follows them, talent issues, or just in general health issues where they're chronically injured. Uh, These are going to be D-plus to F quarterbacks. So without further ado, we're going to go through it. We're going to start with that green group, that elite group, the guys that are $20 million quarterbacks. Number one on the list is Tom Brady. Just consistently the guy for years. He's been in the conversation of being the GOAT, and I understand why. Four Super Bowl rings, made it to six. Uh, We saw what he did. Yes, it was the Cleveland Browns this past week he played, but let's go ahead and be honest. I don't think it mattered who he was playing. He was still going to look good. He was polished out there. And most guys don't throw for four bills and three touchdowns with no picks and virtually no incompletions their first game back on a season. Next guy is Aaron Rodgers. He's an A-minus quarterback. Uh, This guy has consistently been the guy for an extended period of time. He's had a down year and a half or so. Last year he was down. There was a lot of issues. No Jordy Nelson. Line play was bad. But this year the line looks exceptional, and he's still not getting it done with Jordy Nelson return. So gives us a little bit of a downgrade from the A to the A minus, but he's still a guy that you want on your team. And any team in the NFL would take Aaron Rodgers. Also with the A minus grade is a Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger is slinging the pill around. And yes, he probably has the most talented offensive group in the entire NFL with Le'Veon Bell now back from suspension. You got Antonio Brown, uh, heck, uh, even Sammy Coates, who has feet for hands sometimes, but he's fast. So Ben Roethlisberger is doing his thing. He is an A-minus quarterback uh, in the elite group. Uh, Next up is Russell Wilson with a B+. Russell Wilson does not get the credit he is due from people who blamed it on Marshawn Lynch. Well, guess what? He didn't even play last year. He's retired now on the defense. Well, guess what? Defense didn't look that great at certain points last year. 
But Russell Wilson balled out and he's doing it. He's going to keep doing it. I, I think of him as a Tom Brady type guy. He's got that personality and that desire to win. And I think he's only going to get better. The dude was playing on two bad, bad stems, two bad legs, and still carved up the Jets on the road in an early game. Another B-plus quarterback is Drew Brees. This is a guy who has carried his organization for a decade. You know, there's been conversations. We can't pay Drew Brees $25 million. He's the reason defense is bad. No. Terrible drafts, terrible signings, and a lot of dead money are the reason that the Saints are terrible on defense. Don't get me started on that. The only salvageable thing and the only reason the product's even worth watching is because Drew Brees is still slinging the pill. He's Mr. 555. Here's a fun fact. Drew Brees is Mr. 555 for the following reason. He has the most five touchdown passing games in NFL history. He has the most 5,000-yard passing seasons in NFL history. He has the most 500-yard passing games in NFL history. And I don't think that especially the 5,000 passing yards in a season record, that's probably never coming down. I think he has four of them. The next closest has one. Um, so that's why he's a B-plus quarterback. Then I have two B quarterbacks who I still think are elite guys, but they've struggled of late. That's Cam Newton's up next. Still, lower body mechanics bother me. And also his nonchalant attitude. Cam's got to be better. And if he's better, he's unstoppable. Everyone knows this. I think even Cam Newton knows this. His teammates probably know it as well. He's got to start to be better before he ends up suffering from the fate of getting hit too much. Ben Roethlisberger is a good telltale sign of what can happen, Cam. So you got to start being smarter, throwing the ball from the pocket. You've got the ability to do it. You just got to start doing it more often. And another B guy with similar issues, except he misses games, and that's Andrew Luck. Look, we can sit here and talk all we want to about it. I've talked to nauseam about Andrew Luck in positive and negative ways. Some people... <clears throat> on certain networks have called this guy the elite of the elite and put him in the that Brady Rogers range. Stop it. He is an elite quarterback because he can't carry a franchise to victory in the face of being mediocre. Because that Colts roster is trash, okay, on defense. But he also makes a lot of mistakes. Similarly, getting rid of the ball quicker and not taking as many hits. That's why he hasn't been in. That's why he missed eight games last year. That's why he's a little shaky but he's got all the raw tools and he's got better mechanics than cam newton those two guys can be the future of this nfl along with russell wilson if they really want to be so those are my elite guys and i'm going to go to the next category which is the franchise worthy guys and i'm going to start with a guy who i gave less credit to last week but i've reevaluated. and after watching what happened this week this poor guy deserves better and that's philip rivers I know San Diego's not going to do it because they have no time for it. But if San Diego was smart, they would trade for Paxton Lynch, a second-round pick, and a seventh-round pick from next year and the following year for Phillip Rivers. You're in a rebuilding mode, and you might as well get a guy who's a first-round talent for a guy who, if you really care about Phillip Rivers, give him the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. I know we, we got to be competitive but you've put no competitive pieces around this guy. It's it's pitiful what you've done as an organization. So Phillip Rivers, he's got a B minus grade from me. I think that he's not in the next tier because he hasn't been given the opportunity to be, but he is a doggone good quarterback. Another B minus guy is Matt Ryan. 
I busted Matt Ryan's chops because he turns the ball over in the red zone. But maybe he's finally getting it. He actually looks the part now. And I've given him crap in the past, and he's been a C to C plus quarterback. This year, he looks different. When they went 5-0 last year, I didn't think that Matt Ryan was impressive. He looks like a, a, a field general. He keeps it up. He's going to win the NFL MVP, period. And he's doing his thing. Another B-minus quarterback is Derek Carr. He still misses on passes, still makes rookie mistakes, even though he's in his third year. The thing is, it's all trending up. And if you haven't noticed, they've asked him to do a lot of things. They don't even have a running game that's consistent. They had a non-existent running game against San Diego and said, hey, Derek Carr, do work. And he delivered. So Derek Carr is a B-minus quarterback. I have a slew of C-plus quarterbacks. This is based on if they've been in the league for a long time. They've had slip-ups. If they're younger, then they're here because they haven't yet proved to be higher. We start with Matt Stafford. Thought he was going to tail off when Calvin Johnson retired, but guess what Matt Stafford's done? He's just pretty much done his position. He hasn't been bad. He's been way more good Matt Stafford than bad Matt Stafford in the face of losing Calvin Johnson. And Jim Bob Cooter's really helped him flourish as a quarterback. Next is Eli Manning. Eli Manning has played piss poor this year. Let's go ahead and be honest. Throw it out on the table. He's played piss poor. Eli's led the league before in turnovers a lot. But you can live off this. Eli Manning's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame because he's, heck, I'm going to go, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's got two Super Bowl rings, period. And that's a thing that people look for is championships. So he's got the C-plus grade. He is a franchise-worthy quarterback because if you give him the opportunity to get to big moments, he'll make big plays. And the next guy also, when given big moments, makes big plays. And that's Joe Flacco. Joe Cool, he does the job. They're asking him to throw the ball too much right now. And I think with the firing of Tressman, the offensive coordinator, they're going to dial that back, allow Flacco and that offense to look a lot better, run the ball more, and then it's a more effective game with the deep play action like it was in week one as people suck up to the line. So look for Joe Flacco to do well. Then I got some young guys. I'm going to go with Dak Prescott next with a C-plus grade. He was my number one rated quarterback coming out of last year's college football season. And people asked me why. I said he had to play LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss every year. And people said, so? He looked good doing it. But he looked terrible in that Alabama game. Not if you paid attention to it. Not if you paid attention to it. This guy was a gamer and a baller, and I figured if he was given the opportunity to be in the right system, and I thought Dallas was a great place for him, where you don't ask him to throw the ball 50 times a game. You say, make plays, make good decisions. He's going to develop, and he's going to be a Russell Wilson-type guy. Make the good decision. Make the good play, and he's going to have probably finish the season if they do the smart thing and let him keep starting. He's probably going to finish the season with about 15 touchdowns, probably three interceptions, maybe five. Because he doesn't make bad decisions. Okay? Period. That's great for a rookie. Next guy's Carson Wentz. C+. I'll be honest. Look, I gave him credit after the fact. You know? But I didn't think Carson Wentz would be this good, especially this early. The thing that I've learned is guys who are asked to be the leaders of their organization, meaning their college football team, early on, make the line calls, make the adjustments, do a lot of different things, will be successful on the next level if they have the talent. And both Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz were asked to do those things. 
The reason that I had an issue with Carson Wentz is because other quarterbacks have done it. Brock Jensen did the same thing as Carson Wentz as far as winning the games and winning championships. The difference is Brock Jensen didn't have the physical tools of Carson Wentz. I think that he's probably a good, heady guy. And Carson Wentz built on that headiness with physical tools that rival that of Andrew Luck. Jameis Winston's up next, and he's played horribly this year. They didn't even trust him to throw the ball last night in a Monday night game. But I'm going to say it like this. He's a first-round number one overall pick for a reason. I think Jameis Winston has a lot of want to win in him. And that's sounds stupid because I think every player just about in the NFL, maybe not every, but the vast majority, have a lot of want to win in him. But I think that Jameis is used to having to save the day. And in the NFL, until you need to save the day, you shouldn't have to save the day. And I think as he gets that out of his system, he'll be a better quarterback. But he's trending down right now. He's got to pick his game up, but I have faith in the young man to be able to do it. The other guy was picked number two overall that year, and that's Marcus Mariota. He's just wildly inconsistent. Marcus Mariota is a guy who will do really good things for you, really bad things for you. The big thing with Marcus, you got to give him the opportunity to be great by putting him in a system that works for him. So those are my guys who I think are franchise-worthy quarterbacks. Here's my next group. These are the guys that I think are NFL starting quarterbacks. They're all C-grade guys. First one is Andy Dalton. I think that Andy Dalton is going to be what Andy Dalton has been, which is a guy who can get you to the playoffs, and that's it. He's not going to be anything better or worse. I think that if you have a team that can really do something on defense or you have amazing offensive pieces that he can win you some games and maybe get you to the big game. But Andy Dalton's never going to be the guy that you can lean on to get you over the hump unless your team is that team. Next guy is very similar. And it's funny because he's proving the point. That's Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford to see quarterback. Sam Bradford, when he's on a bad team, is a bad quarterback. When he's on a decent team, he's a decent quarterback. He's on an excellent team. So he's a good quarterback. And that's what you need. Just a guy to, to carry the load, make a good decision, make a good pass, accurate, and not have to go out and win games. Maybe have a couple of big plays during the season, but nothing spectacular. The next guy is very similar, and he's found his niche. They've got to build around him if they want to win a Super Bowl, and that's Alex Smith. Alex Smith actually played extremely well last year, especially at the end of the season. Against the Patriots, he did his job. His defense didn't do their job. And it had a lot to do with Justin Houston going down. Also, his coach didn't do his job. You got to make better play calls late in the game when, when it's on the line. Alex Smith balled out. And that's what these types of guys can do. They can at certain points, but they're not going to be guys who can consistently do it. The next C guy is a guy who he's trending down. And this is the last years of his career where he'll be anywhere near effective. That's Carson Palmer. He's just not doing the job. We saw how he buckled under pressure last year in the playoffs. And this year has not looked much better. Just a horrid streak for him. Hopefully, after this concussion, he comes back and does well. Uh, he seems like he's a, a pretty good guy, but he's just not getting it done. And the last guy in this group is Blake Bortles. So inconsistent. The needle's trending downward for Blake in the respect of him regressing. He's not getting better. He's still got a long career ahead of him, hopefully. And I'll give this. The reason that he doesn't have a lower grade, because his play doesn't really say that he's a good quarterback, is because Blake Bortles will go out there and give you everything he has, 
and put his body on the line. Some guys do not have the moxie to do that. So those are my NFL starting quarterback caliber guys. Here are my serviceable quarterbacks, guys who are better as spot starters, excellent backup quarterbacks. They can get some money, but it'll be quick one-year money. The first one is Kirk Cousins. Look, he's just not the guy. You know, he's trying to play for his his NFL future, and I think that Kirk Cousins would be the best backup quarterback in the NFL or this low-tier starter. He's just not consistent. He misses open receivers. He doesn't throw guys open. He doesn't put the ball in the right spot, and his teammates don't have as much faith in him as they could. The next guy, I think he just hasn't had a good, I haven't had enough sample size to see it, but they've held him back for a reason, and that's Trevor Simeon. He's a C-minus guy right now. He might end up being a better quarterback than I expected. He did have a four-touchdown game against the Cincinnati defense, but then again, Cincinnati's defense isn't good, apparently. So let's see what he can do when he comes back from this shoulder injury. And my last guy in this group is Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor wanted money. They gave him a little too much money to me. I think they jumped on the train too quickly and attached themselves to a quarterback that, in all honesty, was inconsistent, to say the least. And he's still got a lot of improvements to to make up for, including just the simple things that quarterbacks should be able to do with read and recognition skills. And here's my, I'm not going to be able to do it. Can't touch him. Can't sign him. Don't want him on my roster. Some of them, nice guys, but at the end of the day, I don't care. I'm trying to win games. Unless they're my backup, I can't do anything with some of these guys. First one is Jay Cutler. Look, D-plus quarterback. He's done nothing to impress me other than throw a ball really hard. The Bears are marketably better without him. Next D-plus quarterback, Brock Osweiler. Literally got signed because he's really tall, and that's it. Bill O'Brien, good move. How's that other guy who you had in college working out? That's how bad the next guy is or a guy down the line. We'll get to him soon. But anyway, Brock Osweiler, D+. Ryan Tannehill, D+. Listen, I'm being nice here because Ryan Tannehill has done nothing but regress and get worse and worse. He's really, really trending towards being an F quarterback, period. He's done in Miami unless something amazing happens soon. D quarterbacks, Case Keenum, he's just there. He's filling the spot. So Jared Goff gets gets acclimated. Case Keenum's not going to sit here and tell you he's great. He just knows what he's doing, which is he's a backup quarterback starting right now. He knows it. He's just trying to do his job. I commend him for that. He would not be my starter on any team ever unless injury happened, but I'd have him as my backup because Case Keenum will be able to hold a team down. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a D quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick would not be my quarterback unless I was forced into it because someone else got injured. Listen, he's the quintessential backup quarterback. He had a great run last year and good for him, and he got some money, but he's not that good. And that plays back to Bill O'Brien. How bad is Hackenberg that he couldn't make a dent in this when other guys drafted after him are balling out? How bad is that guy? So anyway, my last two guys... They have a little side caveat of having, they're not the actual starters, but they're the current starters on the roster. And a D-minus quarterback, Cody Kessler, he has looked bad. Coming from a pro-style offense, being a guy who's been in big games in college, also playing under center, he's looked so uncomfortable that I don't think he should be on the NFL roster 
after this season if this continues. He looks bad. The guy who's supposed to be the name starter to me is a D-plus quarterback. That's Robert Griffin III. It's his health, and he doesn't try to protect himself. There is no reason for him to have been injured in game one except for his own hubris and not understanding how you can live to play another down. I can't trust that guy. Not his body and not his decision-making. Then there's the Blaine Gabbert situation. He's an F quarterback, and the decision was made today to take that F quarterback who I posted this on someone's wall when they said this, the change was to be made, I said, Blaine Gabbert, they had to change. He's that bad. He's an effort guy. Blaine Gabbert will go out there and give you everything he has, and I commend him for that. But effort is a fullback's trait. Quarterbacks need to actually be able to play quarterback. Now, as far as the guy replacing him, if he gets back to good, and I don't mean back to where he was. I just mean back to good. Colin Kaepernick is a C-minus quarterback. This is a guy who, right now, with the way he's played last year, I think that I could have him on my roster. He's got enough physical tools, especially in Chip Kelly's offense. But let's go ahead and be honest. Let's be real. Colin Kaepernick fell off. I like everything that he's been doing recently, and you all might lambaste me for that. I honestly do not care because clearly you don't care. But let's have that as another topic for another day. By the way, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's at CJFlorida9, at CJFlorida, like the state, and the number nine. Feel free to tell me whatever you want to. You want to have a debate, discussion. We can do this. I have no problems with it. Again, I'm out here just trying to tell you about some football. So those are my quarterback rankings, how I look at it, and how it's set up. I'm going to move on to another topic with some simple stuff. It's going to be my FBS Top 10. Now, last week was my first released FBS Top 10. And there's not many, really many changes, but I just kind of want to go over why this top 10, in my opinion, was solid. It was solid because these teams have parsed themselves out. Good teams are playing good football, and they have been since the beginning of the year. Bad teams are playing bad football. And then there's some surprises and in-betweens, but to be honest, some of these teams that people weren't giving credit to, I've been on. Let's go down the list. Number one this week, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Pains me to say it as an LSU fan, but the Crimson Tide looked good. Um, Get a big victory on the road at Arkansas. They're 6-0. They moved up one spot from last week. My number two team, and I'm sticking to it because I'm looking at what they can do and what they have done. Ohio State Buckeyes, 5-0. They moved down one spot. Struggle with Indiana, but I'm going to go ahead and say right now, maybe Indiana's just good. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, they beat Michigan State, who apparently isn't that good. But maybe Indiana's just good. Do you realize there's two running backs in the NFL right now who played at Indiana in the last couple of years who are balling? Tevin Coleman's balling. Jordan Howard is balling. Maybe Indiana's better than we give them credit for, and they're not just a basketball school. Maybe they can play a little football. So that's why I left Ohio State at number two. Number three, the Clemson Tigers. Actually had a pretty solid it was a trap game from the perspective that it wouldn't, it shouldn't have been a big blowout, but they came through and shined through. I thought they would. Uh, beating Boston College pretty handily. They moved to 6-0, so they stay padded, number three. Number four team, moving up one spot. The Michigan Wolverines are 6-0. What Michigan did to Rutgers was criminal, and what Rutgers put on the field as a football product was even more criminal. They let Jabril Peppers 
make a highlight tape for the Heisman on them playing quarterback. This dude was pump faking. He looked like a flag football tournament. And I don't think they would have been able to tackle him in flag football. Rutgers, that was a poor excuse for a football team that you put out there. And I'm not saying that those young men, some of them didn't try. Maybe they're just not talented. I have no clue, but that was horrible. Michigan's good. Michigan not 78 points better than any other FBS Power 5 team. Except Rutgers. My number five team, moving down one spot, not their fault. Lamar Jackson was not on the field because none of the players were as they were on by the 4-1 Louisville Cardinals. Number six, couldn't have bumped them up because I still think Louisville is a better team. But the Washington Huskies, been on them all year, said they were going to be in the, the playoff when the year started. And people thought, who's Washington? I'm like, don't worry. You'll wait. By the way, Jake Browning, balling. Jake Browning has the national record for most touchdown passes in a career. He threw 91 touchdown passes his senior year in high school. Just digest. Let, let, that, let that sink in. 91. I think he threw 300-plus career touchdowns. I don't care when you went to high school. You're throwing 91 touchdowns. You're doing something right. And by the way, he's just passing for about 70% completion percentage. Literally throwing no interceptions and nothing but touchdowns. They won 70-21 to 21 against Oregon this week. Put it on wax. My number seven team stays there, but they're really trying to give it away. It looked like Kevin Sumlin, like he had what I describe as lemon butt. And we'll just leave it at that. They looked dominant in the game early on and then just looked like they were trying to give it away. The Texas A&M Aggies. That Trevor Knight situation, even though he can't throw a clean pass, he is a good quarterback for them. They finally have someone to hold it down. And that's why they stay pat at number seven. Moving up one spot. The opposite effect from what happened to good old Louisville, dropping a spot. The Wisconsin Badgers, who are off, move up one spot to number eight. I just think they're a solid team, period. Because someone decided to move out of the rankings. You don't get mentioned if you're not in the top ten, so let's keep it moving. Moving into the rankings at number nine, even though they lost to one of the teams in the top ten, the Tennessee Volunteers. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, there is not a team with more intestinal fortitude and heart than the Tennessee Volunteers. Everyone is hurt and they just keep every game. It's like, okay, no, now they're they're finally going to get beat. Wait, wait for it. In all honesty, in all honesty, they should have won that game on Saturday night. They look like the better team, but with all the injuries and also Texas A&M hopefully learning how to win, that's why I haven't ranked higher, but I had to move Tennessee in my top 10 just because I was not expecting them to have that sort of heart, getting down 28-7 and saying, bump it. I don't care. We're coming back. So kudos to them at 5-1, and one, even though I'm not a big Butch Jones fan, but uh, let's, let's, let's steer away from that one. And my 10th team, disappointing, but I think they'll get back on track. The Miami Hurricanes, Mark Richt, get the boys back on track. The defense is good. Brad Kaya, maybe maybe you've been working out with Derek Anderson, but y'all making that corner pass in the end zone for no apparent reason after double clutching is stupid. Don't do it anymore. You all will be fine, Miami. So those are my top 10 teams in college in the FBS. We're going to move on to the NFL real quick. We're going to go through this probably a little quicker than expected. My top five teams in the NFL. Stay in Pat. 
at number five, the Seattle Seahawks, three and one on a bye week. Messed up some of my fantasy since I got a lot of Seahawks. Jimmy Graham on every team. Russell Wilson on a couple of teams. Things game. Christian Michael. So I actually lost every fantasy game. Sniff, sniff, whatever. Moving up a bunch of spots and tied for fifth. I have to give credit where credit's due. The Atlanta Falcons look like a dangerous team. They look like they have a mediocre defense, but probably the second best. They have the best offense in the NFC. I was going to say second best offense in the NFL, but I don't know. Patriots and, and the Steelers look pretty doggone legit. They got the best offense in the NFC, though. And that's, that's put that on wax. So they tied for fifth. Fourth, Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, to me, weren't that impressive since they beat the Jets. But you still got to go see those Steelers. That offense is, is stupid. Number three team, falling two spots. Denver Broncos. Reason they didn't fall further, some people were like, oh, they're not good. They lost it. Paxton Lynch, apparently, like he looked like, I think, Jared Goff would look except better. He looked lost. He couldn't make any reads. Their off- right, offensive tackle looked like trash because he's got a injury, Sombralo. Couldn't stop Vic Beasley from the power rush. Uh, 100, uh, basically 100, 200 and let's say 35, 240 pound man, just power rushing a 300 pound guy usually doesn't work out. But with that shoulder injury, it's a problem. So Denver falls to number three, I think, with Trevor Simeon and a little bit more rejuvenation. They'll be fine moving forward. But let's see. They got a Thursday night game. Could prove me wrong. Number two, New England Patriots. They did what we expected them to do. Cleveland. It was beat down. Score was not indicative of it, but they're pretty doggone good. Moving up two spots and also moving up two spots, doing work, making their presence known. The number one team in the NFL, and it's not even close right now, Minnesota Vikings, 5-0. Only undefeated team in the NFL. I'm going to tell you a fun fact. What do Julio Jones, Odell Beckham Jr., Todd Gurley, and I'm going to put a quarterback in there who probably went high in the draft, too. And Aaron Rodgers all have in common. None of them has scored as many fantasy points as the Minnesota Vikings defense. You got the Minnesota Vikings defense. The only one you, you should be trading only for David Johnson or, or Julio, A.B., any of those guys. You can't trade them for nothing else because they are ridiculous. Best team in the league for a reason. We're going to move forward to the bottom five teams. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way because some of these teams, I'm, I'm telling you, I really thought about moving the team into the bottom five after watching that Monday night game, but I can't do it because I know they're better than that. Number 28, and this is a team that I think is a lot better with a backup quarterback. That's the Chicago Bears. Moved up a spot. One and four, they lost. But guess what? Chicago said, nah, you're a good player. They actually look like a team that is trying. Jay Cutler sucks the life out of organizations. He is a succubus. It is horrible. They looked horrible with Jay Cutler. And they have Brian Hoyer making them look like a viable NFL team. Amazing. 
29th ranked team, San Diego Superchargers, moved down a spot at 1-4. Listen, San Diego literally is plus 11 on the season for points, point differential. They've scored more points than they've given up. And they're 1-4. That is amazing. I've, I've never seen anything like that. That is, I, I don't know what to tell you. Bad news bears is what Phillip Rivers had come out of his mouth on national television, and I agree with him. I feel so bad for him. Please trade that man to Denver or someplace else. Please let him go. Number 30 team, and I'm sticking to it, Cleveland Browns. They looked horrible against New England, but New England has made better defenses look horrible. They're trying, and they're playing, and they have the worst luck on the planet. That's why they're not the last-ranked team, because when you're giving an effort and the reason you're losing is because you don't have the talent, that means that coach is doing the best job possible. Those players are trying their butts off. And you just have bad luck when five quarterbacks get injured in one season. One, two, three, four. Um, oh, it's just four. They were on their fifth quarterback. His name was Terrell Pryor. Uh, he's actually better than either Cody Kessler or uh, Charlie Whitehurst, a quarterback. But he is forced to move to wide receiver. Let's move on, though. Number 31 team moved up a spot because in the power rankings, it's all about what you're trying to do. That's San Francisco 49ers. They don't have that much talent. They lost their best defensive player. And they had Blaine Gabbert throwing the ball to everyone except the wide receiver. So pretty much the ground, Jeremy Curley got passes, but it was pretty much the ground most of the time. Um, They moved up a spot because they're trying, and also Colin Kaepernick is going to start playing. Good combination. And the worst team in the entire NFL, number 32, the Miami Dolphins. It's not just Ryan Tannehill, but he is a huge portion of why they're so bad. Gates got to get his his stuff under under wraps. I don't look. I don't know what to tell you, but Miami is the worst team in the NFL right now. Drop it. Quick pro quo on uh, how to fix a perpetual loser. I'll give you some quick notes in the NFL. How do you fix a perpetual loser? Do what the Cleveland Browns are doing. You get in new management. You let go of everyone who had a losing mentality. All those veterans get that money off the books. Draft as many players as possible. At this point, you need 55 draft picks every year because you're trying to figure out who can play ball and it's all going to be at a discounted price. Once you actually can afford to, that's when you bring in some 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 players. But that's how you fix a perpetual loser is the way Cleveland's doing it. Clear house. You got to just be a loser for a year or two. And it's not because of an effort thing. It's literally because, well, you just don't have the horses. Or you have horrible luck and every quarterback you have gets a shoulder injury. But, again, whatever. So that's how you fix it in the NFL. The NFL is a hard cap league. You bring in affordable talent via the draft. Yes, if there's a transcendent player, you don't drop down. But if there's not, and there's very few folks, every year there's not a transcendent player. Fun fact. There's a number one pick every year, but there's not a number one pick caliber player every year. How do you fix a perpetual loser in an FBS Power 5 conference team? And I mean the top sides. The teams that are, let's say they've been losing and they have enough money to win. Like Kentucky, University of Kentucky football has zero reason to be a loser. No reason. Hotbed for football. You say the state of Kentucky doesn't have it. Well, guess what? Ohio has it. Pennsylvania has it. You can also recruit from Tennessee and Illinois. 
and you have money. So what Stoops is doing there is just a travesty. I'm done on that. A non-power five, smaller school. Want me to go ahead and be honest? Want me to go ahead and be real? You got to grassroots it. And you got to allow a coach to be a coach. Pick the right coach. Do not fire him for five to seven years. And I know that sounds like a long time. But pick the right coach. Your USF, don't pick Skip Holtz. Because Skip Holtz never wanted to be a USF. You pick Willie Taggart. He wanted to be there. You grassroots it. You bring in guys that want to play. You look in the first year. Then you look better. And now this year they look pretty solid. And you keep matriculating that forward. That's how you fix a perpetual loser. And my last topic is going to be two receivers I talked about earlier, but I'm going to talk about them in a certain context. I didn't get to get to it last week's show, tech difficulties, but I'm going to cover it this week. Julio Jones versus Odell Beckham Jr. I'm going to tell you a fun fact. They're both divas. They're both diva receivers, but in completely different ways. Let me go ahead and tell you like this. For those who didn't know, my fingers are all sorts of mangled, mauled, and terrible. My former wide receiver. Pretty good one. I made big time catches. I'm nowhere near, never have been, never will be, can't sniff the talent of Julio Jones or Odell Beckham Jr. But hey, who can? There's dudes in the league who can't. But let's move forward. Why are they both divas? Because they're both wide receivers who are big time and big time talent. See, what people don't see is what I see. Which is, they both had the same exact feelings, the reactions were different, and they're categorized differently. See, Odell is an emotional guy. No, I'm not giving him a pass. He act like a petulant child, and some of his comments are stupid. Someone needs to smack him. But you see the outburst, and it becomes a story. Julio Jones is a quiet guy. He never really said much publicly where you could see it. Like, he's not an overly emotional guy. Doesn't mean he doesn't have something to say and doesn't mean he's not a diva. That 300-yard game against the Panthers, I saw it on TV. He was telling Matt Ryan. That's why they threw him the ball the first three plays of the game. You could see him saying, get me the damn ball. I'm open on this one. And you could see him pointing. They're both divas. They both think they're open every freaking play. And guess what? 50% if not 60% of the time, they are. And if they're covered, they're probably still open. Difference is Odell Beckham is too extroverted while Julio Jones is more of an introvert. So it comes off differently. And yes, I will say Odell's being a distraction. But more of a distraction is the fact there's no leadership on that team. And there hasn't been in a while. And it's unfortunate to say. And I'm not blaming just saying that Ben McAdoo's the problem. Because I don't think Ben McAdoo solely is the problem. I don't think he's helping. But he's not solely the problem. It's a culture thing. The Giants have a bad culture right now. They got to fix that. As far as Atlanta, Atlanta has a pretty solid culture. And they'll be fine. So I just wanted to explain to you all how receivers work. And any good receiver in the NFL, even the quietest guy, is a freaking diva. They're just not as extroverted or as childish acting as Odell. And not many have the temperament of a Julio Jones. Closing thoughts. Here's some quick fire things. Chip Kelly is making the right moves. 
He played Blaine Gabbard as long as he could to prove the point. Now he gets what is hopefully a healthy Colin Kaepernick. University of Florida and LSU. Two petulant children. One dropped the ball. The other one's going to is is then trying to push back and be extra slick. See, you have dropped the ball. I don't think either team is dodging the other because at the end of the day, that just sounds stupid. What I think did happen, I think that Jeremy Foley really just dropped the ball and he didn't think about the situation. He's like, oh, well, it's probably not going to hit us, whatever. Oh, crap, it might hit us. We got to cancel this. Well, you should have had a contingency plan. You should have actually done your job as an AD, but one foot's already out the door on you. So let's go ahead and be honest. You didn't give a crap. And as far as LSU, they tried to sound extra slick. Oh, we invited you to come play at our place and all this. Look, I'm an LSU fan, but I know I know slick and, 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 and slick talk when I see it. They were trying to be real slick and get an extra home game. Fine, whatever. One thing I will say, and this is... It's not meant towards Coach McElwain, but his comments really got me on this whole thing. I'm tired of hearing about the hurricane, and I sound like an a-hole. But guess what? Let me go ahead and put this out there real quick. Nothing in the United States matches what happened in the Caribbean and the Haiti. So shut the F up. When it comes down to the real, and even the state of Florida, there was lives lost, and that is sad. But there's more lives lost in the Carolinas. Don't go ahead and tell me, oh, it's all about the players and, uh, you know, they're thinking of people. Every other college team play because they make contingency plans. Other major schools that actually play in affected areas like, I don't know, University of Miami. Still played. You think they didn't have their family on their minds? So don't give me that garbage. And don't tell me that LSU doesn't understand because do you remember Katrina? LSU having to go play in Tennessee on a Monday night because they wanted to get their game in because they actually went with a contingency plan. So, look, again, don't tell me any of this. Don't feed me garbage and tell me that as a gourmet dinner. End of the day, Jeremy Foley dropped the ball and Joe Avila is just being a a little child about it. This game is probably going to get in, but guess what? You know when it should happen? It should happen SEC Championship Weekend. Because neither team's going to be in it. That is just my closing thoughts. Y'all have a great one. Enjoy this week of football. I'll be putting out my 5-5 five and five, uh, later on this week. It gives you five games in college football, major college football. I give you an overview. I give you keys to victory for each team. I give you a prediction. I give you my prediction on the over-under as well as the point spread as it goes. So, for the Football Game Plan Radio Network, this is Chris James signing off. Enjoy everything. And remember, you can hit me up on Twitter at CJFlorida9. I'm not shy. Good night.